broadcasting from the campus of Lynn Benton Community College. We are the Mid-Valley STEM CTE Hub. I'm your host, Casey, and this, this is Closing the Gap. Hey listeners, so did you know that coastal Douglas fir trees can grow to be around 250 feet tall and sometimes more than 15 feet in diameter? That's a huge tree. Now, according to OregonEncyclopedia.org, Doug fir trees make up about 80% of Oregon's conifer tree population. This versatile tree produces wood that is unmatched in its multitude of uses, providing jobs, lumber, paper products, firewood and a number of other things to Oregon residents. Today on the show, our guest is Sarah LaPau, a Douglas fir expert working on tree breeding for Roseburg Forest Products. Join us as we discuss the importance of breeding trees to withstand climate change and the diverse job opportunities available in the local forestry industry. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, Can we discuss the importance of forestry in Western Oregon? Yeah, forestry is really quite important in Western Oregon. It's a cornerstone of the economy and the environment and really the social structure. About half of all Oregon's covered in forest and about 80% of Western Oregon is covered in forest. Total there's like 30 million acres of forest land in Oregon so it's just a huge part of the state. That's a lot. Yep. And these forests are a source of job for tens of thousands of people and um, Oregon is one of the largest producers of wood products in the in the country and in the world. So, in total, um, the forest industry makes up about four percent of the gross domestic product of the state. So it's one of the biggest industries in the state. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so, I mean, from my understanding, I I could be wrong. There's forestry and then there's logging. Are they synonymous? Are they two different sides of the same coin? Completely different? Could you explain? Yeah, forestry is really a much broader term and more comprehensive than logging. Forestry includes a wide range of activities relating to the management of forests and their conservation. It's the planning, the practicing, the monitoring of forests to include a wide range of objectives. Um, Forests provide clean water and fish habitat, biodiversity conservation. That's all part of forestry. Oh, that's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah, and we're, when we talk about logging, we're really talking about the specific activities surrounding timber production to produce wood that is then sent to a mill and turned into a product that, that we use. So oh. forestry is really long-term and, and wide-ranging, where logging is really a specific short-term activity. Cool. Could you uh, give us some examples of um, careers that are in forestry? Yeah, there's really a large range of careers, um, many forces involved in sustainability issues. Um, Oregon has, for example, a Forest Practices Act that requires reforestation after any timber harvest. And so a reforestation forester is responsible for getting trees grown to outplant in the forest and overseeing contract crews typically that actually plant those trees. Um, there's inventory foresters who m- maintain um, they collect data and maintain forest, industri- um, forest 
inventories that talk about what the types of trees that exist in the forest and how much wood volume there is. Um, there's people who cruise timber to collect that data. Uh, there's forest engineers who build roads and develop the infrastructure that's required to access the forest. So there's really a large spectrum of jobs um, at different skill, skill levels within forestry. Totally. So it, it sounds like there's also like a lot of manual labor outside of just like cutting trees out and planting trees. It's also like area maintenance. And yes, there's lots of people out there on the ground doing work that is um, both labor as well as very technical work. Um, identifying property lines and marking them. Um, that's really skilled work and not just labor. Right on. And you do a little bit more of the technical side. Uh, sorry, we're going off script here just like a, a little bit, but I'm going to get you to the, the right yep. question. Um, so you do a little bit more of the technical side, right? Uh, we we kind of just jumped right into what forestry is, but um, what, do you, what do you do? And you work for uh, Roseburg Forest Products, right? Right. I have a very specific role in the company. I'm a forest geneticist, and um, that means that I run the company's tree improvement and seed orchard programs. Um, most people don't know what that means. Do you want me to give you a I would love to know what? more, yeah. <laughs> yes. So tree improvement's a research process, and it's a research process by which people describe the genetic characters, characteristics of trees with the go goal of um, identifying trees that have desirable traits. What does that mean? Well, I mostly work in Douglas fir trees, and we're looking for Douglas fir trees that grow fast, that are tolerant to some diseases, and that are well adapted to the areas in which people want to plant them. And we're also looking for straight stems because those are easier to cut into boards. Cool. So I do a bunch of field work with the putting in large research plots that enable um, me to characterize the genetic quality of trees and find trees that have desirable characteristics based on good genes. That's so cool. So that whole research process is, is a big part of my job. Mm -hmm. And coupled with that, I, I grow tree seed. And I grow tree seed in a seed orchard. A seed orchard is a collection of trees that looks much more like an apple orchard than like a typical forest stand. The trees are really manicured and widely spaced. And we do things to them to make them produce cones because the seeds are found inside of the cones that people see laying on the ground. So that's more of a farming role as opposed to a research role. Uh, I think that's so cool. What do you do to the trees to make them produce cones? Um, what I do to the Douglas fir trees to make them produce cones is similar to what a lot of fruit orchards and nut orchards do to their trees to make them produce fruits and nuts. Um, the trees are more likely to reproduce when they're under stress. So I make cut marks in the barks of the trees that makes the tree think that it's dying, but not quite kill it. And so it says, oh no, I'm under stress, let me reproduce. Um, sometimes I over fertilize the trees, not to give them fertilizer, but to uh, burn off their root tips. And again, it serves to stimulate them to produce seeds. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I had the pleasure of coming to your facility that you work at in Lebanon. And you'd said something that I thought was really interesting because of, um, you know, breeding trees that will do well in certain climates. And you were saying on one side of this road, we're like growing for the coast. And on this side, we're growing for the valley. How do you grow trees to that maturity for the coast in the valley? Yeah, that's a great question. And I really think the field I work in, which is forest genetics, is going to be really important going forward as the climate shifts. 
So one thing we know from decades of research into the genetics of trees is, is that they're, local, they're adapted to the local environment. So somebody wouldn't want to take a seed from Roseburg, for example, and plant it in Newport because that seed from Roseburg would grow more slowly in Newport than if one took a seed from Newport and planted it back in Newport. Interesting. So there's local adapt adaptation. And a big part of my job is um, characterizing how trees are adapted to their local climates, as well as understanding what will happen as climate shifts and anticipating what types of trees we might plant for future climates. Interesting. I like the, the planning ahead for how the climate is changing. Yes, it's, yeah. it's really a big challenge facing forestry. We plant a, when we plant a tree now, we expect to harvest it typically, let's say, 40 years from now. So one question that we're all going to face is, are we planting for the climate today, or should we be planting for the climate tomorrow? And there's a bunch of research studies that are going in, really trying to um, give us data and information and understanding to let us think into the future. It really takes long-term thinking and planning, and um, that's a big challenge. And, and, kind of, and why I think that forest genetics as a field is going to require more people and, um, and is actually a pretty exciting place to be these days. That's awesome. How did you get into forest genetics? I did not take a straight, um, straight path. Uh, okay. I have an undergraduate degree um, from Reed College in basic biology. Um, I was interested in biology. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And while I was in college, I became pretty interested in, in evolution. And um, I liked to be outside. And I got a, decided to go to graduate school um, to study plant evolutionary biology. And as much as I enjoyed graduate school and really enjoyed that field, I decided somewhere along the line that I really didn't want to be a professor. I wanted to do something more applied. Um, there's not that many jobs outside of academia to be a plant evolutionary biologist. So I went looking for a field in which I could work, in which I could use all that skills and training I'd gotten in graduate school that was more applied. And I kind of stumbled into forestry, forest genetics, and tree breeding in particular. And I'm, I'm really glad I did. I really feel like working in an industry setting is really um, personally rewarding and really impactful. That's awesome. Very cool, very cool. Um, so would you be open to walking us through like a typical work day for you? Like what are you doing, boots on the ground? Yep. Yeah. That's a great question. And um, the answer and part of why I like my job is because I don't really think I have a typical work day. Um, the tree improvement research I do is often out in the woods. Um, I don't. At this stage in my career, I don't do that much labor, but I do a lot of planning for work that gets done. So I spend a lot of hours driving out to remote field sites and um, seeing how field tests are doing and figuring out what needs to be done and then hiring contractors to go do that work. As I said to you, I also um, produce tree seed, and I do that in a seed orchard. And the main seed orchard where I work, it's located in Lebanon, Oregon, in the middle of the Willamette Valley. It's surrounded by grass farms, and it looks like a, a, a farm, more like an agricultural farm. And um, so I spend a lot of time there doing planting activities as well as uh, some of the work. I label trees, keep inventories of what's there. Uh, then I do a lot of data analysis on the computer, and probably like most people, I spend a lot of time writing emails and 
doing that kind of stuff as well. Right on. That's so cool. Yeah, you you'd mentioned um, a couple times that it looks more like a farm, and um, it definitely, yeah, I agree. It looks uh, not like a forest uh, around here, but it reminds me of like the pine stands where I grew up in Wisconsin, where there's like lines of trees, like yep. very even and spaced out. Uh, is that by design? Yep. The the orchard, because our goal is to collect seed from these trees that have been. Um, bred to have desirable traits we keep track of the identity of all those trees we plant them in straight rows to let us do that we also have to pick the cones in the um that contain the seeds so people probably um some people call them pine cones i just call them cones because pine cones grow on pine trees and um douglas fir produces douglas fir cones so we have to pick the cones and we do that um, by hiring crews that pick them by hand out of um man lifts like those blue construction lifts people are familiar with seeing so we need the um, trees nicely widely spaced in order to maneuver those lifts inside um, the seed orchard really it's everything with trees is a little uh, made a little more challenging by the fact that they grow tall that's why we like them but you have to um, be able to operate in that environment right on um this is kind of a weird question i i recognize that but um I was wondering if you are attached to any of your trees that you grow because you spend so much time with them. I think like when I go home and I look at my house plants and I like, like oh, like <laughs> you grew a little bit today. Or, you know, uh, do you feel any attachment towards the trees you work with? I do. And there's actually a few. There's really four trees in particular that grow especially fast. Really? Um, and and they have they have numbers, I know their numbers, and I can recognize them. So the trees that we put in our orchard, we use the same kinds of things that are used, say, in an apple orchard to propagate lots of copies of each individual. So when you eat a Honeycrisp apple, it all comes from um, a grafted, an original Honeycrisp apple that was grafted onto lots of rootstock. And we use the same thing in the seed orchard to bulk up the number of copies of the best trees. And um, I can walk around the orchard and and usually f identify the characteristics of my favorite trees. And yeah, I'm pretty attached to them. That's awesome. How, how long have you been with these trees that you feel like attached to and that you can identify? Oh, uh, let's say I've worked for the company I work for, Roseburg Forest Products, since 2008. So I guess I got to know them then. Um, nice. Yep. I'm always breeding for better trees, but there are some trees that have withstood the test of time even as we get new information i like to say you know if you were breeding for big people you'd like shaquille o'neal and you would probably keep keep shaquille o'neal around instead of uh, taking his kids as the next generation because he's just so much bigger than most that and makes so sense the best trees we keep around for a long time awesome so do you just create uh, well, I guess not specifically you, but does Roseburg Forest Products just do trees and seeds and um, things like that? Or do they get more into like the paper and lumber side of things? So I work for Roseburg Forest Products, which is a um, family owned company um, based out of Springfield, Oregon. And the company has about 600,000 acres of forest land, about three quarters of which is in Oregon. But it's also what's referred to as an integrated forest products company, which means in addition to having the timberlands, uh, the company owns mills. And I think there's about 14 mills total, seven of which are in Oregon. And the company produces a lot of, of wood products from 
those mills, including plywood and uh, lumber, engineered wood, particle boards, so a wide range of products. It's awesome. Very cool. Um, I feel like around this area, you can like drive down any kind of like country highway, and it's like speckled with uh, lumber yards, which I find fascinating to look at. You know, all the different bits of machinery that kind of uh, offer different sorts of like skilled trades kind of jobs. You know, like learning how to operate these manufacturing pieces of equipment. Yep, there's all kinds of um, high-tech stuff happening in mills these days, and um, really a need for high-tech um, and well-trained people, electricians and millwrights and engineers of all forms. Um, I think it's become less labor-focused over the time, although there's still a fair amount of labor, and more focused on skilled trades. Cool. That's great. What's something you're most proud of in your work so far? Hmm, it's a good question. I, I think one thing about my job is it's really long-term in its nature, and I feel like a lot of my contribution comes from the from incremental advances as opposed to um, one big project with um, you know one big impact. And um, so I really think that over time I've produced trees that produce a lot more wood that um, sequester a lot more carbon that are a lot healthier to plant out into the forest that are much more resilient to um, insects and diseases and um, that it's really got both economic and environmental benefits and yeah that's that's a great place to to be to feel good about that sure when you were when you were choosing a career and because you touched on like this being a strategic move uh, earlier in our conversation, did you want to have a job that had a lot of impact to it? Like you knew that you were going to be like leaving your mark. I don't know if I understood that at the time. Um, I, I, there was something for me about academia that um, that didn't quite feel right, and I'm really glad to have moved into um, uh, in industrial setting where the impacts can be really immediate on the ground so yeah cool, cool. but no I don't know that uh, sometimes in life you find yourself places you don't necessarily um, anticipate but it's a good thing yeah totally I I think that's one of the beautiful things about going on the on the journey you know riding the ride of the, the careers that you you know it, it'll take you places you never imagined <laughs> I can say that about I don't know I feel like my work sometimes I'm like I think if I were to be like uh, you know, 18-year-old Casey, you know, in high school, and be like, what am I going to do? I don't think I would have guessed that I would have ended up here, but I'm pretty stoked that I did. That's great. Yeah, you don't have to have it all figured out. I, I think you walk down a path, and then you see what's what's down that road. For sure. If people are interested in going down a road of forestry, is there any advice you could give them, anything that they should know? Well, right now, there's a real shortage of trained forestry professionals and I know the company I work for has really an active internship program and is doing all kinds of things to find um, employees especially well entry-level and mid-level in highly trained employees so it's really a and I know a bunch of other companies in the region are in the same position so it's really a, a, a field that somebody can go into with confidence that they'll be able to get hired um, and there's really a large number of different types of jobs one 
can do within forestry that can meet different people's you know goals. There's really conservation and natural resource focused jobs and there's more um, extractive or economically focused jobs and that they're all in, in need of, of trained people right now. So I think that's, that's great and there's really, um, as forests change over time they, and with changing climate conditions, our forest land only becomes more important. So I think there's a lot of job satisfaction and obviously, for people who like to be outside, it's a it's a great place to be. <laughs> for sure, yeah. If you wouldn't mind giving uh, some young women and gender minorities advice on on how they can prosper in a similar role to you. Um, in forestry, there really remains a pretty big gender gap. Um, there's really many fewer women than men, and very fewer even fewer people that are um, non-binary and it's um, it's been slow to change and one thing that and that certainly makes it a more challenging field to go into in some ways um, one thing I've noticed is that sometimes as a woman especially um, earlier in my career I could see myself making uh, men uncomfortable just by my presence and I've had to really learn to understand that that's their issue and it's not something that I need to take on and what I just need to do is a good job in my role um, but the society's changing and the culture's changing and I think there's increasing understanding that a diverse workforce is to everyone's benefit and I, as I mentioned there's really a shortage of people in going into uh, forestry these days, so I, I think women, young women and gender minorities would really have an easy time finding employment because there's really a need for those people. And so again, anybody who likes to be in the woods, I really think it's a, a great place to be. Right on. I feel like you touched on um, a really great point of, you know, people that have an issue, it's not your problem, it's theirs, and to hold fast to what you're doing and keep your head down, keep going, and... Um, I think that's something that is hard to remember sometimes, and I'm glad that you brought it up. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think people talk about imposter syndrome and this feeling that they shouldn't be there, but sometimes I think that comes from the, the people around them, and I think one thing that um, people can do to, to be supportive is, supported is to know that, um, that that's, that's not about you, that's about somebody else. For sure, yeah. I really appreciate that advice, and I really appreciate you joining me today on the show and telling me all about your career. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Closing the Gap. If you like this show, subscribe on Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram at MVSTEMCTE, on Twitter at MidValleySTEM, and online at MidValleySTEM.org. Until next time, keep progressing. Thank you.